What we have done is we've taken nine stories in the Bible of people sort of going off the deep end. All these phrases, going rogue. And going rogue doesn't always mean it's bad. But in these cases, we're focusing on people who have made bad decisions and impacted other people's lives. And so we're taking a look uh, today at Potiphar's wife. It's, uh, it's a story that some of you, how many of you, when I say Potiphar's wife, you know the story I'm referring to. Just wave at me. Does it help when I say Joseph? Yeah, because Joseph, typically when you talk and you have this message in Genesis chapter 39, if you have a Bible, just open it up there. It's about Joseph and his journey and all of that. But today we're really going to focus on Potiphar's wife. And let me just make a couple opening comments because this is very important that I get this right and that you know my heart coming into this weekend. We plan these series months and months ahead, sometimes a year ahead. And of all the, 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 the weeks for this to land on, you know, accusation and truth and, and all, it just, I, I just, I was going, oh God, help me, you know. Uh, it's very relevant to what we're, we're looking at in our country right now. This story has sex in it, abusive sex. It has false accusation. It has complete injustice in this story. We have lies and lies and more lies in this story. And, and this is so important with kind of the Me Too movement that is happening in our world and the social media exposing secrets and I want to say this right hear me rightly accusing people who have done wrong and falsely accusing people who have not done wrong we need the truth and we need to get it right so important so here's the story. You could read all kinds of things into this today that I'm saying or not saying. But it, it is a story in the Bible, and it is what it is, and I'm going to tell it as it is. And don't come to any assumptions that I'm trying to be political in any way. This is a Bible story. And my heart goes out to Joseph, and he's being so falsely accused by Potiphar's wife in this story. Now I want to just say, this happens to be about a woman abusing a man in this particular story. Sexual abuse happens much more in our world where men are abusive to women. Much more if you look at the statistics. So I am not even referring or trying to make a point about gender and who abuses who. Fair? I'm simply trying to relay a story about lies about sexual assault, about aggression, and about suffering from being falsely accused. That happens both to men and to women throughout the Bible. So in your outline, if you have a program, turn it over and just let me say a couple things. Number one in your outline is this. We have to start uh, talking the story whole by talking about Joseph because he's the reason we're in the story. So though he's not our main focus today, it starts with him. Now, I'm going to tell you an interesting thing that the Bible says about him that is a little alarming in some ways. If you don't know anything about the Bible, you don't even know it's in the Old Testament, you don't even know about the book of Genesis, here you go. Joseph ended up at Potiphar's household in Egypt because as a teenager, 
He had dreams given to him by God, and it made his brothers jealous. They saw an opportunity to sell him as a slave. He ended up being sold into slavery, going to Egypt. He had favor with Potiphar, who is a big shot. He's the head of the whole royal guard. He's wealthy, famous, uh, lives in a huge palace, and, and Potiphar trusts Joseph with everything in his household. But I want to point out verse 6 because this is a, a very important starting point for where we're going. It says this in the Bible. Joseph was a very handsome and a very well-built young man. Now, this sermon is kind of PG-13 to R. I'm serious. I'm serious. Some of the language in here, it's, it's R-rated. So I'm, I'm going to try my best to keep this appropriate, but I, there's some things in here I need to say. Now, in this, I mean, if the Bible says you're handsome, wow. <laughs> right? If it says you have a great body, whoa, uh, I mean, this is, are you kidding? There are very few uh, instances in Scripture where Scripture actually refers to someone's body type. And in this case, it does. This guy is handsome. He is really well built, whatever that means to you. And, and Potiphar's wife notices. And I, I guess I just want to say, every one of us, every one of us have the potential of having an attraction to someone else. All of us do. So it's not a sin to be tempted, but it's depending on what you do with that temptation. And we see in this particular story, Joseph has a really tough time here. Number two is, who is this woman? Let's talk about Potiphar's wife just for a moment. Just some historical background here. Her, her name is not in the Bible. Clear? It's not there. You won't find it anywhere. However, later on, as the Jewish commentaries started to reveal this story, books, even, even in the Quran, she's named, and her name is Zulika. Now, I don't know if that's her real name, but that's what the Jewish commentators gave her as a name. It's an Arabic name. It's an Arabic name that means, has a couple words associated. It means brilliant, witty, um, lovely. In this story, she's not so lovely. She might be physically lovely, but boy, she has some problems here. Now, I want to set it up with their marriage because she is married to Potiphar, head of the royal guard, super wealthy tycoon. He holds all the power. Matter of fact, the soldiers behind his back called him the butcher, history tells us, because if you didn't do what he said or he didn't like the way you were dressed today, he would have your head lopped off very cruel man. You put that together with a woman now who her husband has gone two to three weeks at a time, in some cases months at a time, they, they probably don't have too great of a marriage. There's a lot of loneliness here. There's a lot of issues here. And Zuleika, Potiphar's wife, is used to getting what she wants. Imagine a man like that, when he's gone out of the household, everyone else in the household Guess who's the boss? She's the boss. And you'll do what she says, and you won't question her, or you might lose your head. So there's a, there's a lot of dynamic in this story about the pressures and the power, and it, it's all part of 
the control issue of what you know sexual abuse often turns into being and authority and power and all that stuff that we hear about all the time in the news. So we need to be open to that and think about that. I, I just want to put a word out for those of you that are married today. Take care of your marriage. You know, make sure you're in love and staying in love. And, and if you're gone weeks at a time or your job pulls you away, find ways to keep healthy communication Go on some good dates. Stay in love. Don't let a division come between you where your eyes and your mind are wandering off to some other field that it shouldn't be wandering off to. And be real and honest and let God help you. So, so the next question in your outline is simple. It's this. What are the traits and patterns that we see in her life? And what I've done here is I've just tried to go verse by verse in Genesis 39 and not create anything on my own but just tell you what the Bible says about her and the decisions she made. Fair enough? Okay. Number one, she did not control her eyes or her mind. She, she did not control what she looked at and what she did with what she saw. There's a verse in Corinthians that talks about taking your thoughts captive and not letting it go off. And, and that's, she didn't do that. Matter of fact, in verse 7, it says this, Potiphar's wife soon began to look at Joseph, how? Lustfully. As opposed to what? Normally. You look at someone, you don't have, when you look at someone, it doesn't mean you're lusting after them. But the Bible says she looked at him lustfully, and here's the thing I want you to see. It's just two words, but I think they're, they're two of the biggest words in the whole story. And they're these words. She began. She began to look at him. Do you know that every sin, every addiction has a beginning? It has a start line. The temptation happens and there's something birthed. And then if it doesn't get checked right here, it runs you and hooks you and drags you way over here throughout your lifetime. She began. She began. I just can't emphasize it. Every bad habit has a beginning, a starting point. And she looked at him lustfully. This is a willful decision on her part. Sin almost always begins in the mind. You don't accidentally have an affair. You don't, you don't accidentally commit murder. You don't accidentally rob a bank. I don't know how it happened. Yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah, you do. If you, if you try, if you get counseling for an addiction or a need or just trying to work some stuff out in your life, might not be an addiction at all, hurt, pain, sorrow, whatever. You know what? A good counselor, a biblical, a, a godly counselor is, and I believe in godly counseling, they're, they're, they're going to deal with you where you are today, but you know what they're going to want from you? Let's go back to when it started. Let's go back to what happened there. Why? Because that's the starting point. And I pray, I pray almost every day of my life, God, when I'm tempted, when stuff comes into my life that I need to throw out, help me to know to never start. 
It's a lot easier to never start than it is to get the hook out of you way over here, right? Number two, she vocalized her desire. Talk about our culture here. This is a real big deal. As a matter of fact, the text says a few words. It says that she said to Joseph, come and sleep with me. Notice it says she demanded. Come and sleep with me. She demanded. Now, there are times that we may be tempted in our mind to lust after something or someone. Might even have thoughts to choose to be lustful in our sin or whatever it is that, that has a grip in us. But it is a whole nother level when you vocalize it to the person you're lusting after. You can deal with the sin in your mind and ask forgiveness and it's over. It's gone. God forgives you. You move on. You capture the thought from here on out. Now, if you're a single person and you're dating and you really like someone and you say, I find you so attractive. Good for you. <laughs> Go for it. Keep it holy and you have the freedom. But if you're a married person, under the sound of my voice today, voice today you really need to be careful about how many people you say are beautiful or handsome or whatever. Because that immediately connects the two of you at a completely different level than just the temptation in your mind. The consequences are way different. You with me? So please pay attention to what you're saying to people. And, and I, I cannot tell you how many stories I have in my life of people who get entangled in a wrongful way because they started. They said something. They went and got that Coke or cup of coffee. They, they poured their heart out to someone. Oh, we'll never, we'll never end up in bed together. Oh, we're just sharing our heart. <laughs> now, part of the, the challenge of this passage is her demeanor in the, the Hebrew words that she uses about this. And, and there's many translations. The CEB translation of the Bible says that she said, lie down with me. CEV says, make love to me. The NET says, have sex with me. In Hebrew, it's a single word, shakab. And it's a, it's a word that I can't even say in English. It's a cuss word. She's, she's not looking for a romantic evening. Let's just put it that way. She's not saying, I've got some candles in the ballroom, let's have a little dance. No, she's saying, we're going to bed now. And, and this is, this is a, a harsh part of the story because this is a sexually driven story. And there's a lot more to it than this. The, the third thing is that she refused logic and reason. Again, I said it earlier, but I'm going to say it again. This could be a guy in this story. It could be a woman in this story. I'm not picking on a woman or a man. This happens with men and women. And so please hear me say that. She refused logic and reason. In verse 8, it says, and I love this about Joseph. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her. Look at how he tries to do this. My master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife. Do you remember that? 
Well, he doesn't say that part, but I did. <laughs> How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. Here's a guy that has the right perspective. He's trying to use logic, and he knows her. So what he doesn't do is say, are you kidding? You're ugly. I would never sleep with you. <laughs> he doesn't say that. He's not abusive. He's not trying to jump at a, at a big statement. He's, he's trying to say, let's put it on Potiphar. You know, he doesn't want her to feel rejection because I think he knows what she would do with rejection because she's powerful. And remember, she's used to getting what she wants. So we have this crazy dilemma. Um, he tries he tries to move on with good logic. And I just, I just want to say this today, and I hope we can grasp it. People who get caught, and they don't catch it at the start, in any kind of addiction, any kind of sin, if it hooks you, I'm telling you, it drags you to a place where logic doesn't work anymore. When, when you look at the decisions people make, and the, the crazy behavior, it's absurd this behavior it doesn't make sense at all. I just, I just, I still am in kind of shock. One of the greatest comedians of all time, Bill Cosby, sentenced this week for what is absurd. What was he thinking? I mean, you've got, you've got a name that's worldwide and you think you can go around and get away with this kind of stuff? But that's what happens. This is, this is what happens. They do not, we, ha, we lose the ability to think about the cost, the price that we're going to pay. And it's all just because of a start, a seed that's planted, a little hook that gets in us. Please pay attention in your life. Number four, she, be, she just became obsessed with Joseph. It's the best word I could think of in the outline because it's just, it's an obsession now to her. And you'll see what it says in the text about her. It actually says in verse 10, she kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day. But he refused to sleep with her and he kept out of her way as much as possible. Here's a, here's, here's a guy who now can't even come into the palace without going, guys, where is she? She's in there, okay, I'm going that way. Man, if you've ever been victimized, you know, some of you women in here today, your boss, your, that person has authority. When, if you've ever been victimized, whether you're a man or a woman, it's not a pretty picture. It's, it's scary and it's haunting. And I, my heart goes out to you. And Joseph, it changed his whole trajectory in life of how he faced every day, just the fear of facing her. I, it's kind of like, you know, if, you, if you're, if you're a, a kid in school and you come home and your mom says, hey, honey, glad you're home. There's a big chocolate chip cookie. It's warm. You probably smell it. Please don't eat any of it. <laughs> you know, as a kid, you're going to be like, cookie, 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 cookie. <laughs> There's the chips, cookie, cookie, cookie. I mean, I, it's all you're going to think of because it's the thing you can't have. This, this is human nature. We have to get this. This is you. This is me. This started in the beginning. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, the first people on the planet. Hey, this garden is yours. Eat anything you want. Have fun. Oh, this one tree right here. Don't touch this. Don't eat anything out of this tree. All of a sudden, they're like, tree, 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 tree. 
What is going on? Why are we obsessed with things we can't have? It's a human nature problem. And there's always a start. Number five, she forced herself toward Joseph. She forced herself on him. Not pretty. And this is where the story just is so sad. Because here's a guy who's doing everything right. He's, I mean, he's almost like a picture of Jesus in this story. Of just doing running from temptation. You know, not biting the hook. Verse 11. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding... See the aggression? Come on, sleep with me. Same verbiage. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand as he ran from the house. He, he's, he's physically pulling himself away from her. The Hebrew word grab, when it says she grabbed him, it's like a, it's like a, a soldier grabbing his sword and wielding it. It's a shaking, violent word. She just grabs him. And he doesn't know what else to do, so he finds a way to slip out of the cloak as the outer garment. And he, he finds a way to wiggle out of that with his arms. And he doesn't just leave the room, he leaves the house. He's, he's running, he's getting out of there. Good for him. Number six. She creates lies and gets others involved to cover her sin. Abusers do this. Men or women. They create lies and they get other people to see their perspective. They minimize the damage. They don't think it's real. They minimize all the stuff that goes along with it. This is what most of us do when we want to hide our sinful behavior. Verse 13. When she saw that she was holding his cloak and he had left. I mean, I think there was this evil smile on her face. She called out to the servants. Soon all the men came running in. Look, she said. My husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak here behind. Do you notice the pattern here? She's blaming. She starts, who does she start with by blaming? This is interesting. My husband. She says, my husband who brought this Hebrew slave, she doesn't even say his name. It's an it to her. My husband, he's guilty. This Hebrew slave, he should have never been in the house. So what was my choice? He tried to rape me, so I screamed. All lies, all lies, all lies. Wow. It's cruel. Number seven. She plans evil for the victim because of rejection. I'll just say here, rejection is powerful. We have a lot of it in our culture, and we set ourselves up for it all the time. Verse 16. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. Notice the same kind of thing. That Hebrew slave, that who? You've brought into our house. Tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak behind. Belittlement. You brought him in. Blame. Our sin. Our addictions. You know, what happens when you don't know the truth? 
this is, this is such a dilemma. Well, this is a fact. Is it really? Do I know that? This is what happened. This is, he said, she said, we said, they said. Here's, here's what I did this week. I, I started thinking about what I can control. And here's the thing. I know the truth about me. I don't know the truth about you. I can think I know, but I don't. But because we know the truth about us, who's the only other figure that knows the truth about us? God. Why don't, why don't we bring the true us to the one true God and work some things out between each other? So that the gap in our lives between the truth about me and the image about me, what you think I am, what people believe about me, doesn't get too big of a gap. If I can walk in the truth and know this and I can have peace of mind and heart and spirit with my God, I won't have a starting point of something that puts a hook in me and drags me out of reality. Number eight, she has no regard for the suffering of others. She has set this whole thing up to get even with Joseph. And verse 19 says, Potiphar, who is her husband, was furious when he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Well, how'd you like that story? It kind of feels like you've watched the evening news, doesn't it? It's, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. We're living in this culture. So I, I just came up with three questions that I want to ask you, and I just want you to take them seriously. And before I go through the questions, I want to give you something else to think about. We tend to think that the starting line is typically for three primary addictions. What are they? Sex, alcohol, drugs. Sex, alcohol, and drugs. Are they real addictions? Yeah. Probably the biggest problem in, in, in the world in terms of addictive behavior, so I'm not minimizing them. But I want to tell you a whole other thing that some of you who maybe not, maybe you're caught some in this, but this is for some other people too. This pattern... There can be an addiction. The hook in you might be your self-talk. It might be that for years you're believing a lie about who you are and you do not believe you are fearfully and wonderfully made and you keep lying to yourself and you keep believing that lie and it pushes you away from every adventure and every potential and every confidence possible in the doors God opens for you. Some of you have a hook in you of fear. Well, that's not an addiction. Yeah, it is. Anxiety. The worry that keeps you from reaching your potential as a person who God has made for so much more, it's an addiction. And you think about it, and it hooks you, and it drags you off. People-pleasing. Greed. Materialism. These are hooks, you guys. These are hooks that have damaging ramifications in our lives. Damaging so as I go through the questions, keep in mind, all those things count too. 
all of those things had a starting point. When someone didn't believe in you, someone abused you, someone said mean things, someone bullied you, and it put it in your head. That's, you guys, why we have a God who brought us salvation. These are the things we need to be saved from. And it's everywhere in our culture. I'm sick of it. Three questions. Number one, do you know where you are vulnerable? If you have a hard time answering that question, I'll answer it for you. Write it on the paper. Yes, you do know. We all know our weakness, our tendencies. We all do. So the bigger question is, what am I going to do with that and what am I doing with it? Number two, have you built real accountability into your life? Give me a name. Give me a moment when you poured your heart out to someone you trust so that I know it's real and not just, oh, yeah, I have accountability in my life. That's the biggest Christian buzzword ever. And you can still lie about it. So I want to stand before you and tell you I've, I've, I've got good accountability in my life. And I'm thankful because I can honestly tell you I think it has saved me at the start line many times. Number three. Have you gotten comfortable living a lie? I'm not bringing that question as an accusation or make you feel bad or ashamed. I'm bringing it in truth. Do you think about this stuff anymore? Do you care? If that gap is so big and you're doing great with the image of you and you don't even really know the truth of you anymore because you've run through all the fences, you need deliverance. We need deliverance in our culture from not just sex, drugs, and alcohol, but from all these other things that I listed. We need God to save us. And I want to say one other thing. This is about progress. There are going to be tons of people in heaven who's fought addiction behaviors their whole life. So God loves you. He's for you. This isn't a hammer coming down on us today. This is God's invitation saying, I really want a journey in this journey with you. Don't let yourself feel alone. Don't live under the shame blanket. It's, it's ugly under there. Expo the, the first thing you can do that's right is acknowledge it. I have a problem here, God. And God says, yay! Why don't you bring that to me? And then just try to make progress today and tomorrow. Who's in your life you could open to up to about this that's the kind of thing I'm talking about so as we pray I just I'm going to ask you maybe to just hold your hands out like this palms up if you're comfortable with it in front of you and, and agree with the parts of this prayer you want to agree with Lord we need a savior in our lives I need you today I lay my weakness I lay it before you and I can't fix it. That's why you came. <laughs> you knew I couldn't. You know my human nature. And so I need deliverance today. I need the peace of God that passes all understanding. And I need it as a reality in my life. I give to you my tendency toward letting these things get a hook in me. 
And I pray that from this day forward, at the start line of these temptations, I will capture them and I will reject them and I will live with good accountability in my life. Don't let me walk out of here feeling ashamed, but help me feel excited and joyful. In your name, amen.